Father, I ask that you would uh, focus and uh, center um, our hearts and our minds upon you and upon the word that you have given to us as we, um, as we look at this particular passage today and this particular subject of hope. And I ask, Lord, that as we talk about hope, that you would fill us with your hope. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if Pastor Ryan were here, uh, he would be beginning the Advent series. He is not here, so I am beginning it in his place. Um, and the subject of this first Sunday of Advent is hope. Hope. A man approached a Little League baseball game one afternoon, and uh, he asked the boy in the dugout what the score was. And the boy said, uh, it's 18 to nothing. We're losing. And uh, the spectator said to him, boy, I bet you're discouraged. And the little boy said, why should I be discouraged? We haven't even gotten up to bat yet. (laughs) So I I don't know if that's a story about hope or hopeless. Uh, Maybe both. Uh, Today we're looking at our we're looking at our hope as Christians, our hope as believers. Our primary passage today is uh, Luke. uh, I'm going to have to nod at you, and you'll just have to click. Um, What? Okay. Anyway, turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Luke 2.25, if you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 943. Page 943. This is our primary passage, uh, so we'll be looking at it, but we're also going to use it as a springboard to look at some other passages as we talk about hope today, I want to share with you or remind you of seven truths about um, our hope, uh, our Christian hope. The last five of these truths come from the passage we're going to be looking at, but I want, to, I want to tell you the first two first, and then we'll read our passage. And the first one is this, uh, God wants you to have hope. God wants you to have hope. And the Bible is pretty clear about that. For instance, in Romans 15:13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice that verse. He wants you to overflow with hope. And then our next verse is 1 Peter 1, 3. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's giving us a living hope. Why? Because of his because of his great mercy towards us. God's goal is not to keep you guessing. Excuse me. He's not wanting you to agonize about whether you're in or out, about whether you're bound for eternal joy or eternal misery. And then look at this verse, 1 John 5:13. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the word of God. If you believe on Christ, if you're trusting in him, he wants you to know that you have eternal life. God wants you to have this hope. Have you ever noticed on, uh, if you've watched any reality television shows, towards the end of the show, you know, they announce who the winner is or who's going on or what, or whatever, and they keep you in suspense. You know, it's like, and the, and the, 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 the winner is, 
And then there's like dead space. There's like silence for 17 minutes. And then they go, and then they go to a commercial break, you know, and they don't even tell you. And then they come back and they don't even pick up from there. They back up a little bit. They back up the tape and say, okay, now, and the winner is, and then you got the same 17 minutes again. Finally, they announce it. And it's killing the audience and it's killing the contestants because they're dying to know, you know, who won. That's not God. He wants you to know. He wants you to know. And that leads to the second observation. It's a sure hope. Our hope in Christ is a sure hope. This observation has been made many times before in this church, in this pulpit. Pastor Ryan has pointed out many times. I know John Galicki has, has, has talked about this many times in our Bible studies and so forth. It's not a, you know, a wishful kind of thinking hope. It's not that kind of hope like, I hope it doesn't snow today or whatever. I hope I get a raise at work. You know, I hope my car repair doesn't cost too much. Or I hope gas prices come down soon or whatever. That's wishful thinking. You know, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. It, it's uncertain. That is not the Christian hope. The Christian hope is a sure hope. It will come to pass for those who are Christians. Look at that verse again. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Hope here is defined as knowledge so that you may know. Look at Hebrews 11, uh, 1. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Our hope, our faith is confidence. It's assurance. Romans 5, 5 says that this hope will not disappoint us. This hope will not disappoint us. So those are the first two observations. God wants you to have hope, and our hope is a sure hope. But now let's look at our passage. Um, it comes from Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 32, but I'm going to back up and start at verse 21. This is uh, eight days. Um, this first part occurs eight days after Jesus was born. In fact, it picks up. We're picking up right where Kaylee left off with her uh, scripture reading here when Don was playing the piano. Verse 21, when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple complex. When the parents brought in the child, child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master... You can dismiss your slave in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. We're going to stop right there. And I want to make five observations on hope from this passage. The first is this, that it's a revealed hope. Our hope is a revealed hope. In other words, it's not man made. It's not made up by human beings. 
The Christian faith is not a man-made faith. The Christian hope is not a man-made hope. It comes from God. It's revealed to us in his word. In verse 32, where Simeon says, talks about Jesus and talks about him as a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel, he is citing Old Testament scripture. This isn't something that he just made up out of thin air. He's citing Old Testament scripture. He's, he's quoting from Isaiah, from a couple different spots in Isaiah. The coming of Jesus fulfilled several Old Testament prophecies, prophecies that were revealed in the scriptures. And the Jewish people were looking for the coming of their Messiah because God's word to them through Moses and through the prophets had revealed them to them that a Messiah, an anointed one, would come. And so we today, as God's people, even as we benefit from the first coming of Christ, we also are looking for a coming of Christ. We are looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And why do we do that? Because God's word has revealed it to us that Christ is coming back. Our hope is not something that a, that a committee put together and made up and devised. Our hope is revealed to us from the creator, from God himself. The Old Testament people of God looked with hope to the future for the coming of Messiah, and he came. And even so, we, the new covenant people of God, look with hope to the future for the second coming of our Savior, and he will come again. It's been revealed to us in Scripture. For instance, the Bible says, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says we wait for the blessed hope. And what is that blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ. Our hope in Christ is a revealed hope. It's not a manufactured hope. It's a God given hope. And fourth, it's a hope for salvation. It's a hope for salvation. While Simeon is holding the infant Jesus in his arms, he praises God and he says in verse 30, you can dismiss me now because my eyes have seen your salvation. The hope that Israel was longing for had materialized in the person of Jesus. And this hope was for salvation. What a salvation means to save means to deliver, to rescue to extract someone from a situation, from a negative or troubling situation. There were a lot of, in the Old Testament, there were a lot of different salvation events where God intervened and rescued his people. The big one, the big one in the Old Testament was the exodus uh, from Egypt. When God, uh, with the plagues, you know, and the crossing the Red Sea, and God brings his people out. That was the old, that was a big Old Testament salvation event where god extracted his people from a situation that they could not free themselves from but the ultimate salvation event that the bible talks about is the desperate situation that every human being throughout human history is in the guilt and condemnation of their own sins we are all sinners we have all sinned we are all guilty we have all been condemned and our punishment Our punishment awaits for those sins. And there's nothing we can do to extract ourselves from this situation. You can't buy your way out. You can't work your way out of it. Your good works don't paste over your sins. Even in our own justice system. um, It's not perfect, of course. Fallible as it is. Even in our own justice system, good deeds don't usually mitigate punishment for criminal activity. You know, imagine 
Imagine a lawyer getting up and saying, yes, yes, my client, my client, the defendant, is guilty of arson and kidnapping and murder. But that's the only illegal things they have ever done. Are you, the members of the jury, seriously going to judge them based on one hour of inappropriate activity? Or are you going to judge them on a lifetime of law-abiding citizenry? Well, you know, a good jury is focused on the crime, right? It's focused on the criminal activity. You can't work your way out of pain for your sins. Nor can you talk your way out of it. We are on the road to punishment, and we can't save ourselves from it. But we have this hope, this Christian hope that God has given to us, this hope of salvation. We have this hope that we will not have to pay for our sins in hell, that we won't have to pay for our sins at all, that even though we are guilty of so much against God, we won't face even one minute of jail time, so to speak, that he will rescue us that he has rescued us from our dire circumstance. And remember, this is a sure hope. This is a sure hope that we have because of Christ. Not a pie-in-the-sky kind of hope. Not a wishful thinking kind of hope. Hebrews 6.19 says that this is an anchor for us. Simeon knew he was beholding the Lord's salvation. And then number five, it's a hope that is found in Jesus. It's a hope that is found in Jesus. In verse 30, Simeon is looking, he's looking at Jesus, he's holding Jesus, he's looking at the baby Jesus, and he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. He's looking at Jesus. The the incarnation is incredible. The fact that the Son of God became human flesh, and even more than human flesh, not even as an adult, started off being conceived in the womb of Mary and being born as a baby. Simeon is holding in his arms the one who created everything. He's holding the Son of God in his arms, the Son of God come in flesh, Mary's baby boy, and he refers to him as God's salvation. Now, I know that some parents see their newborns as uh, tax breaks. Uh, any December babies here? Anybody born in December? Yeah, Especially December? See their babies as tax breaks. Other, other parents see their newborns as, as help with the farm or the family business. And especially in other cultures, many parents see their babies as help and security in their old age. But Simeon sees this particular little infant as God's salvation. God's salvation as deliverance from sin and condemnation, as the one who will release us from all guilt, as the one who will overcome death for us. And he's right. Jesus is our hope. Salvation and hope have a name, and that name is Jesus. In the very first verse of 1 Timothy, Paul refers to Jesus as Christ Jesus, our hope. Christ Jesus, our hope. Salvation is inextricably bound up with the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 1 Timothy 1.15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. When Jesus was describing his own mission, he put it this way. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by that name. Jesus is the source of salvation. He's the means of salvation. 1 John 5.12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This verse is is very, very clear. 
If you have the Son, you have life. You are saved. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. You are not saved. Several years ago, when it was a big deal for Christians to go to the Holy Land, to go visit the Holy Land, a lot of believers were doing that, and trips were organized and so forth. Trips are still organized today to go to the Holy Land. Um, One college professor was asked, have you ever been to the Holy Land? And he responded, no, I haven't been to the Holy Land, but I know Jesus. (laughs) I know Jesus. So what if you don't have a seminary education? It's irrelevant. If you have Jesus, you have life. What if you can't remember the names of all the apostles? What What if you don't have the books of the Bible memorized, you know, in order? Or what if you didn't grow up in a Christian home? You know, those things are all good. But when it comes to salvation, the question is, do you have Jesus? If you have Jesus, you are saved and you have eternal life. But if you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. You may have you may have whole books of the Bible memorized. And you may have 10 years and three degrees in higher biblical education. But if you don't have Jesus, you're not saved. You may be regarded as a good person with a good and kind heart, but if you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. You may volunteer eight days a week and give 110% of your income to the poor, but if you don't have the Lord Jesus in your life, you are not saved. You may be very sympathetic and empathetic with those in need, and you may make meals for every sick person that you know, but if you don't have Christ, you don't have life. Your dad may be a pastor, Your mom may be a deaconess and a Sunday school teacher. Your family tree may be populated by dozens and dozens of pastors and missionaries and evangelists and Christian activists and the Apostle Paul and all the 12 apostles and even Billy Graham thrown in there. They may all be in your family tree, but if you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. You don't have salvation. Salvation is found only in Christ. Connection with him through faith is vital. It's essential. The Christian hope is a hope that is founded on Jesus, that is found in him and found nowhere else. Jesus is our hope and he is our salvation. Number six, it's a hope that is available to all. It's a hope that is available to all. Verses 30 to 32, when Simeon's talking, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. God's salvation was prepared in the presence of all peoples, and it is for the Gentiles and Israel. In other words, it's available to all people. It's available to all people. Romans 10, now the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on on the name of the Lord, will be saved. It doesn't matter who you are. You can have the sure hope of salvation in Christ. It's available to you. Let me just give you a couple examples. For instance, in uh, the book of Acts, the apostles uh, Saul, uh, Paul and Silas had been roughed up in the city of Philippi. And by roughed up, I mean they had been stripped naked in front of a crowd They had been beaten severely with rods. They had been thrown in jail, and their feet had been fastened in the stocks. And during the night, events happened that brought them face-to-face with their jailer. 
the one that was holding them in custody. And their jailer asked them, what must I do to be saved? Now just pause a minute and think about that. Was salvation available to this instrument of hatred against God's people? It was. Paul and Silas said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And the account continues. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds right away. He and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had believed God with his entire household. Let me give you another example. Consider the two criminals who were crucified on either side of Jesus on the hill of Calvary. For a while, oh, for a while, according to the scriptures, both of them were mocking and making fun of Jesus. But something happened to one, in, in one of those criminals as he was hanging there, as the day progressed and as they observed Jesus. Here's Luke's account of it. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, Don't you even fear God, since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly, because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. So this man was an unbelieving, unrepentant sinner, all the way up until just a couple hours before he dies. But then he turns to Jesus in faith. Now think a minute. Is salvation available to this man who has been unrepentant and unbelieving all of his life, except maybe for the last couple hours? Is it available to the one who just a few minutes ago was mocking the Son of God? And it is. Jesus says to him, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. The Christian hope is available to all who receive Christ and trust in him. Some people say, you have no idea the kinds of sins that I've committed. It doesn't matter. If, If you think that your sins can keep you from Christ, you don't believe in the Bible. Because the Bible is clear that Christ came for sinners. And not just sinners, but great sinners. The Christian hope is available to all who receive Christ and trust in him. And then number seven, it's a life-shaping hope. It's a life-shaping hope. This hope is not just about the future. It has, or it should have, an effect on you now. Um, Actually, many effects, and I want to point some out. First of all, let's notice the effects that it had on Simeon. In verse 25, we read that he was looking forward to Israel's consolation this hope of salvation brought to israel and to simeon no little consolation in other words it brought them comfort and encouragement the sorrow of a horrific future was exchanged for the brightness of a wonderful future and in verse 29 this hope of salvation brought him peace verse 29 now master you can dismiss your slave in peace as you promised when the future is unclear when there's questions we can be unsettled or anxious Or when there's the guarantee of misery in our future, we tend to be anxious and fearful. But when the future is both bright and sure, that brings that brings peace now. 
Or verse 28, the hope of salvation in Jesus brought him joy. When Simeon saw Jesus, he began praising God. He began praising God for salvation. So you see how this hope is life-shaping even now. It should bring comfort. It should bring peace. It should produce joy. But there's more from other scriptures. For instance, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers. Concerning those who are asleep, that is, those who have already died, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. The death of loved ones who are Christians is hard. And we do grieve because we miss them. There's a separation there. But we don't grieve like those who don't have hope. And First Thessalonians 4.13 explains why. Because we're going to see him again. We're going to see him again. It's not like we've said goodbye forever. We're going to see him again. Christ has completely neutralized death for those who believe on him. Death is nothing more than a doorway into bliss for the Christian. To be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's not a metaphor. That's not a figure of speech. That's literal truth. It's literal truth. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Why today? Because they were on the cross. They were going to die. But today, at his death, he would be with the Lord. No waiting room. No purgatory. No soul sleep. All right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When a believer dies, their soul departs here and is instantly ushered into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this hope of ours shapes us. It gives us more encouragement and more joy and more peace in the face of death. It should also give us more patience and endurance in this life as it did for the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.3, we recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work that is produced by faith, your labor that is produced by love, and your endurance that is produced by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope of salvation in Christ should also shape other aspects of our living. First John 3, we know that when he appears, we know that when Jesus appears, when Jesus comes back, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in Christ purifies himself just as Christ himself is pure. Your hope in Christ should be leading you into greater love, into greater service, into greater humility. In other words, purifying yourself, becoming more Christ-like. It should be empowering you more and more to say no to temptation. It had this effect on Simeon. We read about Simeon in verse 25 that he was righteous and devout. And this is connected to his hope of the coming of Messiah. Also, our hope can help us when we are tempted to despair. Martin Luther, who is often colorful, he said, he wrote once, he said, Once upon a time, the devil said to me, Martin Luther, you are a great sinner and you will be damned. Stop, stop, Martin Luther said. Stop, stop. One thing at a time. I am a great sinner. It is true, though you have no right to tell me of it. I confess it. I am a great sinner. What next? And the devil said, therefore, you will be damned. And Martin Luther said, that is not good reasoning. It is true that I am a great sinner, but it is written, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Therefore, I shall be saved. Now go your way. So I cut the, Luther says, so I cut the devil off with his own sword. And he went away sad because he could not cast me down by calling me a great sinner. (laughs) 
The hope that we have in Christ should keep us, should help us in times of despair and discouragement, especially when the devil reminds us of our sins. We remind him of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the sure hope that we have in Christ. So I'm hoping that you see that your hope in Jesus, while it has to do with the future, it also has to do with the present, the here and now. The hope that we have of forgiveness of sins, of eternal life, that shapes our living now. The longer I go, the more vibrant and influential my hope in Jesus Christ becomes in my life. Well, there are, there are seven truths about our Christian hope. That sure hope in Christ of salvation has been motivating countless believers throughout history to great service and great endurance and great witness. That hope is an engine that keeps us pressing on. And it is a great mercy from our great God to you if you are trusting in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the kind of God that doesn't want us to be in suspense, but that you want us to have that hope, that assurance of salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. We know that we are great sinners, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that, but we also know that in Jesus Christ we have hope. We know that, we, that uh, Christ has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom. Uh, his kingdom of light. And we are so grateful for that hope. I hope and pray that everyone in this room will be strengthened in hope. There's that passage in Romans 15:13 about how you desire us to be overflowing with hope. Um, may each one of us overflow with the hope that we have in salvation in Jesus Christ. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.